0: The five most banned LGBTQ books in America. This is The Focus Group.
1: They're all business, except when they're not.
0: It's The Focus Group with Jim Bennett and John Nash. Welcome to the Focus Group. John Nash here with my good friend and co-host, Mr. Tim Bennett. Find us every week at focusgroupradio.com, on Facebook Live, on YouTube Live, and check out our Tuesday podcast as well, which is called TFG Unbuttoned. Three stories, 20 minutes, all the news that's fit to print, as we say. And we want a big thanks to, give a big thanks to Deep Discount for being a partner of ours here on the Focus Group. You can check out Deep Discount by going to focusgroupradio.com, clicking on the Deep Discount logo, and start going down the rabbit hole of shopping. So, uh, new week, Mr. Bennett? Uh, yes, Mr. Nash. A new week. I, I had a project over the weekend. I thought of you
1: because I knew when you were little, your mom said you used to like to tinker with things, take things apart and figure mm-hmm. out how they work. So I had a gas grill, a Weber gas grill that, uh, you know, I've always had Weber gas grills. You You still use charcoal, right? Bob insists, yeah. <laughs> well, I might, I, might, I might agree with Bob. So I've, I've had these Weber grills for, gosh, probably 20, 30 years since I've owned a house, and I've never had an issue. But this one particular one, of course, it's newer. Nothing new works. Seems to work long. I've only had about four years, and the, there's three burners, and only one of them works. So I went online and, and looked at YouTube. And the, and, on the
0: three, they're at the, they're at the bottom of the, they're right. like three distinct round three gas burners? pipes, right. Okay.
1: So I went online to the YouTubes, and uh, found how to fix them. There was somebody called the Grill Girl, and then there was also somebody from Weber. And uh, so I followed the instructions and I took the thing apart. And it's now in my backyard, all our back deck, all in pieces, everything in pieces. <laughs> and uh, disassembled, right? Disassembled. And it said I was supposed to take some of the, the so it, it said that the cross tubes were clogged. They figured this is why it didn't light. And all I needed to do was to stick these tubes in vinegar and baking soda. Oh. And then then maybe clean them out a little bit. So anyway, right now we have quite a mess in the back. The amount of, I've never seen so much, the, the grill was filthy, which has never happened before. I don't quite understand what's happened. I usually let it run after I cook to burn the stuff off. But I had to go online and order this piece. And while I was on there, I could not believe how much so this grill cost probably six hundred dollars. So this little hanging basket for um for rolls you would put on to warm them. I was just gonna toss it away. Well I'm looking at it here part's sixty one dollars for that yeah. little piece. <laughs> so this little cross tube thing was close to fifty dollars, but I was able to find it from a third party seller in Florida called the Grill Master or something. So I picked it up for about thirty bucks. And it's supposed to come here. We'll see if I can if I can get the grill going, but I was, uh, I ended up having to bring the stuff inside and cook it in the house, which made quite a mess, which I got in trouble for.
0: Yeah, Bob has been a fan of charcoal, specifically um, our friend Trace turned us on to these like wood chips that I think are... Like hickory? Yes, exactly, exactly, like hickory wood chips or something, and um, I like the smell of them, And but we don't do a lot of grilling outside, so... You know, it was one of those things where uh, you know. <laughs> now we got the charcoal, and I'm not allowed to really do much with it. Bob, we have this thing that we—it's like a cylinder that we pack newspaper in. And, oh yeah, and then the charcoal, and it's like a heating chimney or something that it helps you light the like the grill and keep it lit. So is Bob in charge of the? Bob's in charge. Bob's in charge of that. Yeah, but lately he's he's been more in favor of just broiling or using the oven. <laughs> we well, was in charge of the fireplace too, wasn't we? Well. Yes, uh, I could build a fire, but he kind of takes charge of that, and uh, there you go. You stay stay in your lane. I stay in my lane, yeah, I I know. And and, uh, So, hey, quick one for you. I I saw this come in over the wire, and I thought it was really funny. Penthouses in North Korea are mainly for the unfortunate few. So, in the topsy-turvy world we live in, and in a topsy-turvy world that appears to be North Korea, a penthouse is actually for the unfortunate because if you live that high up, you probably have to walk every flight because the elevators are unreliable. And then my favorite one was reading that the water pressure is usually really poor. And unless they add extra equipment or something, you just don't get water at the upper floor. So you have to bring buckets of water up too. How ridiculous does that sound?
1: Well, it's North Korea, John. <laughs> you know, you and I keep wanting to go. The state department won't even let us. I don't think no. the, uh, yeah, I was, I was, I saw that you had pat, you had sent that article over, and I started reading, it and they said that if you really want to live on one of the bottom floors, otherwise, one of the guys had a friend who said he had to work, tw- he had to walk twenty eight flights or twenty eight floors. It said it could take him an hour sometimes to to bring everything up, <laughs> which you just can't believe. So as I was poking around, and I'll have to post it to our Facebook page only because it's just it's it's acting supreme, you know, talking about chewing up the scenery. So Kim Jong Un, the dear leader. He gave one of these penthouse apartments to Ray Chun hee and she is the you know the dear the dear propagandist for the uh, for the country. She's the lady in pink, and she retired at like seventy nine years old. But they they say that she doesn't. Um, nobody's been able to re- replace her. You know, she's the the crier in chief. When somebody dies, she's like, <laughs> you know she's crying. She's wearing the little pink dress. So. Uh he thought she was um she's given so much to the country, he said. And uh she's one of the few privileged uh few that got one of these prestigious penthouses and he's walking her through it and in an inch room, she gets more dramatic and crying to her knees about what a beautiful pad this is. It looks like a, a hotel from the sixties that we would have looked at. But you know, for the North Koreans, it's pretty good digs. Now I don't know if this old lady's gonna have to walk up the steps though. And I
0: was reading this article you found, right? The elevators
1: don't work twice a day they <laughs> might work they said
0: but it's a topsy-turvy world that you you would want to be on the ground floor if you're really connected to the party and you got the box you want to be on the ground floor because you don't have to walk up i mean it, <laughs> could you imagine i mean i guess that would be how new york would operate if everything went to if we had no power bad elevators right what's up is down right in <laughs> north
1: korea I, yeah you, you you want the you, you want the closest thing you well what are you going to look at in pyongyang what's the view Half the time the lights are out. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you'd be up there and see what a beautiful view. We're gonna head or, head over to head over to the entertainment district and take in a show. Or well, it's not like the time we were kicking
0: off our our uh, national park tour with the uh, VW All-Track wagon, and and Jay and Jason had us up to their beautiful apartment in Seattle, and we were on the this. Remember the deck we were on? We right. had cocktails. You could see the sound and all the buildings. I mean. <laughs> And the sunset. This is yeah, I get I get I get your point. Nothing's going on over there,
1: right? No, there's nothing to see. But uh, yes, I'll post I'll post the tour of the penthouse with uh, Ray chin because Ray uh, <laughs> chin <laughs> Yeah, she, she 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 she's the Walter Cronkite of uh, she's the Walter Cronkite of Korea, North Korea. So yeah, that was a good article. I would I still really would like to. It's probably the last country on Earth you can go to that you'd really feel like you went somewhere
0: um and what you mean by that is the last country on earth you would go to where you really met where you really felt like you went somewhere foreign right because it's so different right so
1: gonna be no starbucks or mcdonald's or anything there so yeah maybe. would be uh I, I would like to do it i always wanted to go to russia i wanted to go to cuba i've never made it to ne- either of those places but
0: I don't you know. know my mom and jim did a uh a cruise from st petersburg towards moscow one of those riverboat cruises she right. loved it this was years and years ago um i think it's going to be a long time before any of us are traveling over there because of all the stuff that's going on but yeah it would, would you have go been to cool cuba?
1: would you go to cuba
0: i would love to have gone but i haven't but i know people who have and they used right. to go via canada to mexico and then over to i guess that's how the americans could go right
1: yeah you can, well you sneak in through a third party yeah. right and you, yeah. you want to go to somewhere like Haiti or
0: Dominican Republic you know where it's a little bit lax you get through mm-hmm. and I then you get on and, but they they said Havana was like stepping back into the Godfather you know like there's scenes in mm-hmm. the Godfather where it, or Godfather 2 that takes take place in Havana the old cars the kind of colonial looking hotels but all those old cars are still there I don't know how to right. keep them running uh, they had a great time they said it was a really interesting culture in a cool country
1: our friends in Russia are bringing back the. Uh, I guess it's the. Is it the Lada, the uh, the, the car the car of Russia and uh,
0: <laughs> the car of Russia. Yeah. Putin
1: Putin has told them to uh, to make it a little more Spartan because they can't get parts. They rely on an awful lot of parts. I believe I believe Renault is one of the biggest investors or builder of the car. But they're going to do a very Spartan version, which reminded me there was a museum out in Oregon which we missed. I think it's either Oregon or Washington State. It's a Soviet. Vehicle Museum.
0: Oh, that would be good. Which that you would and be I, good.
1: That would have been a good trip for you and I to take. So we'll have to see. I, want, I wonder how business is. Maybe we'll Every
0: car, car has three wheels. Yeah. <laughs> like it or not. Like it or not. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. With that, what caught your eye? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and
1: John found. So I was poking around and this had popped up in the news. The headline Jack Nicholson's axe from The Shining could fetch up to $90,000 at auction. So a rare prop act swung by Jack Nicholson during the filming of, uh, some of the most memorable scenes in, in Kubrick's 1980 horror film, The Shining is headed to auction. And, uh, the one picture in the picture that I gave to, to John was the, here's Johnny when he, yes, busts yeah. which is one of the, the, um, classic scenes and become one of the most recognizable movie scenes. They said in history. And, uh, so the axe—did you did you ever hear anything about these axes before? Apparently, some other ones have gone up for sale as well. And
0: they're from the movie. They're props, right?
1: They're well, from the movie. So the minimum bid on this one—it's it's through a, an auction house called Got to Have Rock and Roll. And the minimum bid starts at fifty thousand. Bids started on April twentieth, so you could go on there and bid. Uh, they expect it to reach somewhere between sixty and ninety. Yet they did, and it comes in a uh, shadow box for wall display. It's framed with photographs from the movie, and then gives a certificate of authenticity. Um, this one, they uh, is light, so they said that there's foam axes. There was foam axes made, uh, and one one recently sold for fifty-seven thousand six hundred. And the wooden axes, these were firemen's axes, sold for two hundred eleven thousand in twenty nineteen. They said there were dozens of these axes made for the movies, and the lighter ones are these foam ones that had partial foam and weren't just all um, all metal. Were used when he was doing some of these when Nicholson was doing some of these longer scenes in the maze, and he'd be running with the axe. Yeah. And so, because the other axe was so heavy, I can't believe it was that heavy. But anyway, they did some of these lighter lighter foam axes for some of these long scenes where he was running, particularly when he was trying to chase his son down in the maze at the end. And uh, So you can go bid on that. It's a cool piece of Americana, I suppose, if you're a movie buff or fan of the movie. Then at the very end of the article, they had posted something that I thought was interesting. They said 148, the big number. They said that's how many reshoots were taken for a scene in which the hotel chef, Dick Holleran, and Torrance's son, Danny, were discussing their psychic abilities. And the director, uh, Kubrick, had them... Stanley Kubrick, yeah. Right, had them do 148 takes. It said it holds the record for the most retakes of any scene or any dialogue for a movie according to the Guinness Book of World Records. So he made him do it over and over and over again until it was just right to where he he liked it. And they said that's how the Here's Johnny thing came in as well. When he would bust through into the bathroom, when Shelley Duvall's in the bathroom there and Nicholson's beating through, they were using different sort of lines and they were feeding him lines and they were doing this over and over and over again and then he just Blurted out, here's Johnny. <laughs> and they're like, that's it. That's the one. Print. So yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you can get that axe, John, if you're looking for the the shining axe.
0: Movie uh prop memorabilia always intrigues me. And the fact that they made, you know, foam or lightweight versions for him to drag around that topiary maze I, right. you know the end of the movie is so classic and it, isn't the shining one of your favorites it
1: is and you know it was funny so even when and i you know you know it right you know the movie yep. you know what's going to happen or at least you have a even watching some of the clips because i went down the rabbit hole a little bit with little kids on the big wheel and then he runs into the twins i had chills again I, it, it's just creepy there's something that he, whatever they did, and I know it's coming. I know he's going to see the twins. I know what the twins look like, but it still, still creep me out.
0: That's the ones so, that where they're in front of the elevator doors, and then all the blood comes rushing us. out, right?
1: Come play with us.
0: Yeah, I'm come play with us, and that's that. where he's riding that big wheel. Yeah. Brr, carpet floor, Bubble. carpet floor. Brr, <laughs>
1: great great uh great horror fight.
0: it's a wonderful movie and Kubrick's one of my favorite directors and that number of takes I'm glad you brought that up he is famous is for he? driving his actors crazy with with getting trying to nail it perfectly well they said with uh, the other point in this
1: uh, one article they said Shelley Duvall was so she was angry um yeah. because he isolated her and tried to keep her away from everybody
0: to make her almost a little bit
1: Paranoid. Crazy herself. Yep. Paranoid, which she thought would help her in the
0: movie. <laughs> so, and it
1: did. Filming in the movie, yeah.
0: All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. All work <laughs> and no play makes it. And she's flipping through the papers like, oh no, there's no novel here.
1: I always wonder why she never got the hell out of there. I mean, <laughs> it, right when you're, you're watching that thing, you're like, hmm, something's up, right? Yeah. I don't know. Would you have stayed around?
0: <laughs> I would not have stayed around. But then again, how far down the mountain, what did they have to Like to civilization. I mean, that the 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 guy that came back on the snowcat had to right. have a snowcat to get back up there so yeah. Yeah. so my uh what caught my eye could not be any more different but it is a interesting cultural thing and that is that a a, a train engineer was posthumously awarded 45 cents that he was docked while alive and and were and being the engineer of a train so um this guy, a Japanese train driver, um, he, was, he accused his company of unfairly deducting his pay after he caused a one-minute delay in service. Oh, my God. He has won his case in court and will be paid back 56 yen or 45 cents in wages, although the ruling came weeks after he died of an illness. Hirofumi Wada, who worked for West Japan, Rail, West Japan Railway, was supposed to drive an empty train into a depot on June 2020. But he accidentally went to the wrong platform and started driving the train one minute later than scheduled, causing to delay the train's departure. His employer argued he didn't work during that one minute and docked his pay. (laughs) (laughs) This (laughs) is only in Japan, right? On Tuesday, a year after Wada sued the railway operator, the district court in the southern prefecture. Uh, of okayama ruled in favor of him and ordered west japan railway to return the 45 cents and reduce pay to the driver who died on april 3rd of an unspecified ailment at the age of 59 it dismissed wada's additional claim of 2.2 million yen um, claiming that no was only going to take care of you know this this issue here Uh, The Japanese railways pride themselves, and Tim could tell you on this, on punctuality. But they're also known for having severe working conditions. So many of us may remember from a few years ago, there have been a couple of incidences in train, well, many years. In 2005, a speeding West Japan railway train derailed and rammed into a residential tower in southern Hyogo prefecture killing 105 people. And when they investigated that, the 23-year-old driver who was killed in the crash was likely going over the limit uh, on a curve because he feared he was running late. So there, you, this is just one of those things where I just think like, you know, the, the maniacal, you know, fixation on these trains run on time kind of thing leads to this guy being accused of not working for 60 seconds of which is worth 45 cents <laughs> he gets it back after he's dead but i mean i'm all his coworkers are pleased that he won this case because he was an engineer who apparently always looked out for the juniors and his team you know the guys that were coming up through the uh through the ranks yeah and uh is it but you, you're shaking your head because you've experienced this right Well, they,
1: you know the japanese major in the minors
0: i mean it is it's it's very much a
1: uh a society of rules and order in many many regards. I I remember getting a bus ticket out of out of Narita Airport with I was with Richard Marshall, and the bus ticket was for two twelve in like twenty seconds. Like it had the time written out, and so the bus pulls up at for and we were going into in, into downtown Tokyo. And the bu- a bus pulls up at two ten. So Richard and I go to get on, and we get pushed and shoved aside. Not your, not your bus, not your bus. We're like, no, our this is our bus. We, it, you know, we're figuring it's two ten. That's the two twelve bus. No, no, no. You're the two twelve bus. You know, 20 seconds. Richard and I are looking at each other. We're like, we don't want to miss this bus. It was we've already flown a day and a half. You know what it's like to get there. But sure enough, within two twelve and seventeen seconds, another <laughs> bus pulls <laughs> pulls in. And we were just like, oh, my gosh. And then another time, we had same situation. We had gone. Um, we were trying to get to an event, and we were running early. They anticipated traffic. So they get off the highway, and we start doing a loop-de-loop around the, the emper- emperor's palace. We're like, what is this? We're in the middle of this. Then we get on the highway, and like the breakdown lane, going about 23 miles per hour, they had, they had done the math. And finally, we said, you know, we can get there early. It's okay, we'll, set, we'll, we'll do other things. you know? No, we are supposed to be there at 11. This will get us there at 10.50. So they needed to chew up these 10 minutes, and they were trying <laughs> to figure out a way to do it because the schedule said we were there at 11, not at 10.50. Yeah, yeah. But then another final thing is when we were allowed to buy and expense the washer fluid for the car, for the windshield wipers. But because they were on the metric system, and we, of course, use the use gallons right instead of liters, uh, they would only reimburse us seven eighths of the cost of the washer fluid because <laughs> you could not use it all. And you were
0: probably taking the extra and putting it in your wife's car. In your own car. Yeah. Another, your wife's car. That's so- a maniacal obsession with with measures mm-hmm. and time. Yeah, that's. Yeah.
1: So, uh, yeah, so I love that one. But 45 cents, can you imagine?
0: 45 yen yeah 56 yen 45 cents and it's posthumously given poor guy I, I wonder what he passed away from 59 is pretty young in my opinion um i think that's how old he was
1: i had an employee that came to me said his paycheck was 23 cents short
0: i remember this story i love this story and he wanted it fixed because he had
1: done the compounded interest over x amount of years of how much money he would be out by the time he retired and i flipped a quarter at him took it out of my pocket I didn't have time. <laughs> and i said And then, of course, he went to HR, and I got reprimanded. But I, I said, "What do you?" I said, "Go down and talk to them about." I, I I don't control the payroll, but well, I need, I need your support on this, and I'm twenty-three cents short. I I never checked my. I guess I probably should
0: have checked. Maybe I was docked twenty three cents. Maybe I've got a couple <laughs> million cents. Didn't he have some? He, he did this for like how many? Like oh yeah, was it only he, that or was it a number of years? He dragged it
1: out to say by time I retire, this will equate to two hundred. And I mean, he had some crazy number that went out. And I was like, you know, Jeff, go down and talk to someone about it. But I
0: I you know here's I'm a quarter. Yeah,
1: and I was bing. He said, what out are you, your way what, back? what are you gonna yeah. do? Here's a quarter.
0: On your way back uh, from the drugstore, bring, bring, bring me an atomic fireball with the core I'm giving you, right? Because that's Dude. what you're talking of. It's like petty candy money, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Well,
0: <laughs> petty
1: candy money. So yeah, so that was it. So that caught your eye. I I love that one. Where'd you find that? Do
0: you remember? Uh, I think it was Quartz was the uh, was the publication I was looking at. Yeah,
1: you've gotten so, you've
0: have some new. Uh... New, New places feeds. you're
1: finding yeah. material. Yeah, <laughs> some of mine are some of mine dry up sometimes, and I, I'm not uh, happy with them.
0: Tim, you and I have always said it's riches one week and it's drought the next. Right, right. rain right. and drought.
1: So we're going to uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have a business birthday, and then we also have the five most banned LGBTQ books in the country, and these are for for schools, I guess, banned in the schools yep. that John had, John had mentioned earlier. So we'll, we'll reveal those five titles as well. So stay with us. We'll be
0: right back. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Now back to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Available pretty much everywhere welcome back to the focus group john nash with my co-host and good friend mr tim bennett Uh, as tim said before i went to break you know second half of the show we're going to do a business birthday and the most the five most banned lgbtq books uh, LGBTQ books in America. got to get that right. But without further ado, let's do Business Birthday.
1: Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. So our business birthday today is a gentleman named Wallace Carruthers. And I always say I like Carruthers. C-A-R-O-T-H-E-R-S. I do too. Born April 27th, 1896. He died April 29th. 1937 at 41 years old he was an american chemist inventor and he, he led the organic chemistry area at DuPont, but was credited with the invention of nylon as well as neoprene you know that neoprene is that thick rubbery uh-huh. that? like like a uh,
0: for scuba diving
1: kind of yeah. thing. yeah yeah the uh what do they what do they call that artificial it's not artificial rubber I don't, i don't know what the exact word would be but uh, he was a group leader at DuPont's experimental station, and, and DuPont, which is based a uh, chemical company based in Wilmington, Delaware, they had done a lot of research and tried to hire a lot of academics, and Crothers was one of the academics that they had hired out of Harvard. Uh, previous to that, he was in Illinois. He had a pretty robust job within academia, where he was an organic chemist, and DuPont was trying to figure out if there was a way that they could monetize some of this research that they were doing r- involving chemicals and so forth. And then on some of these projects that people were working on, if they could actually have a commercial value to them. And so they wanted to bring in some of these uh, chemists that could take some of the projects that were either failures or had found other uses for and see if there was a commercial, a commercial way to uh, to use them. The The history of, of him or the bio as I pulled it up was very... Um, Heavily texted or texts with scientific jargon of he did this, he did that, you know, split the atom to do this, which quite frankly, I kind of glazed over. But the. Um, <laughs> he changed the chemical, the, the atomic structure. Or right. Something, and then, right? It, you know, and then it would say, but at high temperature it would melt. And they, you know, half the words I couldn't pronounce. But uh, they finally, DuPont executive named Hamilton Bradshaw had gone up to Harvard and convinced Crothers to leave Harvard and come down to DuPont. And so they offered him $500 a month compared to what he was making as head of the organic chemistry area at Harvard for $267, $267 a month is what he was making at Harvard in 1930. I believe it was 19, uh, 1927. Uh, so late 20s, early 30s. That's what Harvard was paying. 267 a month. Doesn't sound like a lot. No. I don't either. I, think, I don't think 500 hundred's is a lot either, but I guess it was a pretty good pay bump. <laughs> So he when he ran this what they called the experimental station, he lived with three other guys uh, that they called uh, the Whiskey Village because they were all bachelors and apparently they did lots of drinking and went out carousing. But uh, Carruthers never would do that. He was a bit of a would a bit of a loner, and they said horribly, horribly depressed. He wow. was always always depressed, always upset, um, never felt right. Constantly was writing letters to his friends. He went to a, a small school in Missouri called Tarkio. And uh, would constantly write letters back to friends that he had known from there and from his fraternity saying how he just didn't fit in. He didn't feel um, like the type that would want to go out and carouse and drink and meet the ladies and so forth and so on. But he ended up having a relationship with a married woman, which uh, his family was not happy about. And uh, so he had to break that off. So he would kind of um, bury himself in work, but he would disappear. And he would disappear for weeks on end. Sometimes they wouldn't know where he was, and they'd find him in some psychiatric hospital in Baltimore, or he had a psychiatrist in Philly he would go see and talk to. Wow. And so they said, his, 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 so in between all this, so he was developing projects and products, and uh, that's how they came up with, uh, with the invention of nylon. And uh, they said this was 1934. It was the most productive time of his research. He eventually invented nylon, but he disappeared again. He didn't work. No one knew where he was. He had found a small clinic in, uh, outside of the John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. And um, DuPont would get him, bring him back again, and uh, he'd continue to work. But finally, his uh, sister had died of, uh, of pneumonia, I believe. And he just, this was 1937. He couldn't get over it. He went out to Chicago, attended her funeral. They said he always had a cyanide, tablet attached to his um, watch and the uh, thought that are would...
0: you serious
1: yeah okay mm-hmm. and so these two psychiatrists took him on a long hike thinking that would help him um and he ended up uh he ended up marrying a another woman but after this long hike after these two psychiatrists thought a long hike would do him good in the alps uh he disappeared again and he went back living with the boys at the whiskey village or whiskey acres they called it And outside of Wilmington. And uh, she just finally said to the psychiatrist, I can't take it anymore. I I can't care for him. Wow. The the, the psychiatrist said, you're absolutely right. Um, You won't be able to care for him. So he, uh, he committed, he went into work on April 28th, 1937. He went to the experimental station at DuPont. He then committed suicide in a hotel room in Philadelphia the next day by ingesting chemicals. No note was found. Oh my God! Kind of a sad, sad, sad life at forty-one years old. God only knows how troubled he was. You know, you think about it. uh, Mental health care in the twenties and thirties. They said he always felt different and like an outcast, and never part of the social norms of people carousing and
0: doing what they were doing. He just always felt different. So he invented. He invented um, nylon Nylon. at. in 1934 and only three years later he passes away.
1: Yeah, kills himself. Wow. He said it was you know the, the nylon and uh, neoprene he had played with lots of the chemical makeups of things that they were um, you know experimenting with in this lab and uh, but never really got to see the the fruits of obviously the nope. you know, nylon has you know changed the world and other po- other types of polyester they mention as well that uh, that came out of this invention. But uh, yeah, never was able to see the um, see the success of it just because he was so troubled uh, mentally and uh, with depression, what a shame. chronic depression. What yeah. a shame! Yeah, probably one of our saddest um, and in a long time that I remember d- demise of our uh, our business. Birthday usually some of these people die of old age with lots of coin.
0: But um, <laughs> you know, was, it was interesting this was one with, that had a with tragic ending when you were reading about him was he was aware enough of his condition that he would disappear to everybody else. He disappeared, but he would go to a clinic or something to try to get, try to get, you know, some relief. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: He, he, he would, um, they said there was, there was, uh, there was a number of letters that they had listed of where he had written to two friends. And, uh, as I said, former associates about, his depression, and he would reach out to them and say, "I can't do this anymore. I don't know what's wow. wrong with me. Um, I need help." And they did. They did try to get him help, uh, or he himself went to two different clinics: one in Baltimore, one at you know John Hopkins, and one up in Philadelphia at uh, Hospital Pennsylvania. But he would just write these long letters of just. When you read them, you're just like, "Oh my gosh!" I mean, Breaks he your just, heart. Yeah, right. he would say. He said, "I'm." I'm living out here in the country with other bachelors. I'm not socially inclined. They all seem to want to go out in tall hats and white ties that's not my that's not me. My ancient custom is to sit solemnly at home and uh he, he said he kept a capsule of cyanide attached
0: to his watch chain uh, that one by itself, the cyanide capsule just yeah. waiting. <laughs> Wow, he said. Okay. He also
1: he, Dupont also wanted him to go speak a lot at a different different organizations, and he had to do something up in New Haven. And he said that uh, he just absolutely hated it. He didn't like that public recognition or being um, put forward like that. He said it, it would ruin him, ruin him from nerves, and uh, he, he just never felt uh, felt comfortable doing it, which would lead him to drink.
0: So wow. Yes, anyway. that was a sad, amazing invention from an inventor who had a troubled of life, trouble. right? Uh, and men, at 41. Yeah, mental wow. health,
1: mental health issues that, um, well, recognized, probably we didn't know enough about it to treat it properly. Obviously.
0: Well, there's a lot back then, huge amounts of stigma. Even today, oh, yeah. there's still a lot of stigma about mental yeah. health issues. So, it's, yeah. Hey, at the uh, start of the broadcast, we talked about. Um, the five most banned LGBTQ books in America today. And um, they're all young adult books, and uh, we're going to talk about them now. So this article came to us from Queerty, and the number one book... So, you know, we've been talking about this on our other uh, podcast, TFGM Button, but Florida is the latest to, you know, begin drawing back or pulling back or rolling back the ability to even speak about things that are LGBTQ, if it upsets a parent or something. But in many ways, um, this book banning thing bothers me even more because a book is a choice. You don't have to read a book. You don't have to take it out of the library. You don't have to do anything. You could you could read whatever you want to read. So just preemptively removing a, a piece of literature that could help somebody or guide them to understand their personality or their journey always is a head scratcher to me. Uh, but the first book here that has been um, banned is called Gender Queer. And um, it's a book by, what's the author's name? Maya Kobab- Kobare. Is that, is that how I pronounce her name? Well, I hope I'm not well,
1: butchering her yeah, Kobabe, I, sorry. Yeah, Kobabe, but I'm not so sure about the first name. Is it Maya? I guess.
0: Maybe. Maya, M-A-I-A, yeah. Maya Kobabe. Yeah. Um, it's it's a graphic novel. A deeply honest graphic novel covers their experience of discovering and accepting that they are both non-binary and asexual. However, the book also doubles as an instructing, instructive guide for these those exploring those identities. In it, Kobabe discusses their journey toward a less gendered world where they felt free from social gender expectations and more confident about expressing their gender identity. And the author says by high school I had met multiple out gay lesbian and bisexual people but I didn't meet out and out trans or non-binary person non-binary person until I was in grad school. And the only place I had access to information and stories about transgendered people was in media mainly in books which is what I said before like you don't normally encounter this stuff in the in the you know you have to seek out this kind of literature but it's great that it's there. So that's the first book that they've banned. I've heard about it. I've not read it myself, um, but that was the first one up.
1: Yeah. The, the second one is called Boys Aren't Blue by George Johnson, and it's a memoir manifesto. Johnson writes personal essays about his experiences growing up black and queer in the South. And um, what it also does is it shows a black family being very supportive of their queer child, something that you rarely see depicted or disclosed in the media. And it ultimately encourages the readers to shed society's toxic masculinity and embrace themselves fully. So again, when um, there's been lots of studies done, and John and I are currently working on a project around Generation Z, and where uh, people are really exploring different um, ways of expressing themselves from gender or um, this uh, whether they're trans or non-binary and so forth. But this is just simply... This author George Johnson's um, memoir about what his experience was, yeah. And again, if you could see yourself um, there in the in the book, as you said, what's the harm if somebody wants to read about what this guy went through, George Johnson, about growing up and and uh, being accepted because he accepted himself? I don't see where there's an issue there. But okay. neither
0: do I. If it's it's not part of some curriculum, it's not being it's not like reading Johnny Tremaine, <laughs> whatever we right. read when we were kids. Um, The third book out of the most of the five most banned books is a book by Jonathan Evison called Lawn Boy. And uh, Mike Munoz is a poor Mexican 22 year old high school grad who supports his disabled brother and family by working as a landscaper in Washington state. When he quits a terrible job in a dramatic fashion, he's forced to confront what he really wants out of life. He then goes through a series of questionable mentors and decisions while also coming to terms with his gayness. Um, Evanson wrote the book for an adult audience. Indeed, his narrator speaks frankly about a formative sexual experience he had with another boy during their youth. And, and later, uh, Evanson, the author, actually says, I am quite confident that not a single person threatening me, because a lot of these authors are getting hate mail, hate, sp- right. you know, things just spewed in their direction mindlessly. Uh, so I'm quite confident that not a single person threatening me or lobbying to ban my book even read a single passage of Lawn Boy beyond those few isolated passages read on the TikTok video. That's all it took to mobilize their blind hatred and zealous call to arms to ban my book. They didn't even read it. That's why we're still up. That's what we're still up against today. A streak of anti-intellectualism that runs so deep in America that people feel they no longer need to inform themselves before they make the decision to ban a book or seek to destroy the reputation of a father of three. That was one of the more powerful ones in this section. Where we're dealing with these five most banned books in America. I mean, it's just, he's got a point if you're gonna if you're gonna get if you want to knock something at least understand what you're arguing right right or if you want to debate something be informed about what you're debating
1: so that you at least have another point of view rather than i don't want to hear about it yeah
0: or or you're co-opting you've been force-fed or you've you've co-opted someone's point of view and you made it your own without even knowing why yeah
1: yeah number four is called beyond magenta transgender teens speak out by susan Cucklin. And uh, the author here she interviewed six people. she said two trans feminine people, two trans masculine people, and two uh, non-binary people, and they came from different um, uh, different nationalities as well as different socioeconomic and familial backgrounds, and talked to them about them coming to terms with their gender identity, and probably a lot like the uh, the book John just mentioned um. The issue here is that, you know, her fear is with the banning of this is that this is where um, knowledge becomes danger to the people that are, that are scared about letting people find out about um, people different than you. And it's this whole, um, I think the whole theme of this to me was this not allowing people to either educate themselves or not becoming educated about what else is happening, particularly now in society. And that's dangerous. And uh, that's what her fear is on the ban of this one, is that people are frightened because they don't understand it, but they also don't want to learn about it.
0: (laughs) Just push it away. I don't want to know. Just push it away. It's crazy. And our our last book out of the five most banned LGBTQ books in America um, is This Book is Gay by Juno Dawson. Dawson's book primarily serves as an explainer for gay, lesbian, cisgender people and their allies, offering a starting place for questions about sex, culture, and politics. While the book doesn't delve very deeply into bisexuality, asexuality, transgender, non-binary, women's issues, and other complexities, it ultimately encourages readers to focus on being true to themselves and not sticking too closely to any labels that feel wrong. And here's what the author says, uh, Juno Dawson. I see myself as a storyteller. I think it's a universal language we all speak, and stories have the power to unite us as a race. It's unthinkable that Anne Frank's diary was once a banned text. The sheer concept of challenging or banning books is so ludicrous, I can't really engage with that. (laughs) So he sums up, in my opinion, this author, what I would say about that, which is, when you think that the Diary of Anne Frank used to be a banned book or a banned text, and now we we hold it up as an example of um, amazing courage and grace in, in hiding from the Nazis in, in the Netherlands, you know, um, people make pilgrimages to Anne Frank's house uh, in in in, in uh, you know Amsterdam. So, I, I do think it's ludicrous. Why ban a book? You don't have to read it just because it sits on a shelf. What what's the threat, right?
1: Well, this all reminds me of uh, this book banning. Reminds me of a lot of the um, teachings of some religions, where you don't want the people to be educated because you don't want them to question your doctrine, right? Correct. So, if you keep the masses stupid, which is uh, why some of these author- authoritarian countries um, want to control media or control what people hear or what what they consume, is dangerous. I mean, it it, it reminds me of um, and we. <laughs> I've said this a million times, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't want you to go beyond a certain grade of school. And, uh, you know, you and I have always said if we had a telemarketing company for cold calling, we'd hire witnesses because they're used to, <laughs> you know, they're accustomed to the rejection. Relentless. They keep going. Eventually, right? Eventually, even a blind squirrel finds a nut, so they're going to sell something. But, uh, but yeah, you keep the masses stupid and uh, you're able to control them. And, and that's what I think the danger is here, because if this, if these books are banned, what's next? You oh know, and, well, and I don't think anybody thinks that far down the down the path.
0: No, and and you know, Tim, I I'm sure that you had an experience like this in Philadelphia. In in when I first graduated school and moved to the city and came out, um, one of my favorite bookstores here in New York City was called A Different Light, and it was just it was a, a gay bookstore, and it was one of the few places you can go to get recommendations for new literature. And what a revelation to read books by authors who. Were either gay or included gay characters is thoughtfully sensibly touching you know um you know touching depictions of life uh it was like a, a you know revelatory now some of these books may have existed in a school library but i didn't right. know about it back then so yeah this whole idea of banning books is i love reading i love books and i love how they share knowledge the idea that you're clamping down simply because you don't like the subject matter or the people it's directed to, or that it's going to change society—it just seems like we live in a very fear-based culture. I mean, we've always been a fear-based species, but you know, I, I'm 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 afraid of getting eaten by a lion. I got to run. I might not be, you know, right. This this is getting to a fevered pitch the culture wars though they're ridiculous they're ridiculous because yeah. we're talking about our neighbors our brothers our sisters are you know this is not some alien invasion this, the culture wars are affecting us right
1: yeah no it's it's sad so what a lot of people are doing i've seen where people are actually buying these books and donating them <laughs> to uh to schools or amazon has a whole whole area where you can actually buy seriously these books. yeah and i've i've read some people in central pennsylvania that um actually had a book fair with all of these books plus countless others that were on the list to be banned in certain states for people to come buy them and, and or or donate them and, and give them give them for free. So um you know thank God to uh to those of us in, in the country that are still out there with the putting up the fight. So uh as Michelangelo Angelo Michelangelo Signorelli has told us many times it's not over. Not over New, No. Right. So on that happy note, between the suicide of <laughs> the business birthday and the <laughs> books that are banned, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate uh, you spending time with us. Be sure to also catch our podcast, which is TFG Unbuttoned, which is released every Tuesday morning. And you can find all of our media housed at focusgroupradio.com or on our Facebook page, which is Focus Group Radio, as well as our stream on YouTube, which is also by the same name. And pretty much anywhere, if you just type in Focus Group Radio, you'll find uh, whether it's on uh, Spotify or Amazon or where else are we? iHeart, TuneIn. You name it, we're there pretty much, aren't we, Mr. Nash?
0: Yeah, we're all free.
1: All, all free. Free, free, free. So uh, remember, don't text and drive. Arrive Alive. Be careful out there as people are starting to uh, travel, whether it's for spring break or getting ready for the summer season. Put your phone down when you're driving. There's no need to have it on. And, uh, Have a good week. We'll see you on Tuesday. Take care. It's the Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning Focus Group.